I printed, uh, you don't need to open the Bible, but just if you want to, to make sure that's where I'm reading this from, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 to 4, uh, is one of what we call the pastoral epistles. If you remember, the pastoral epistles were letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to, pa- to pastors, specifically on pastoral responsibilities in the churches where they serve. So he wrote one to Timothy, wrote one to Titus. Here he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Then one other verse from Romans 10:17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Um, I saw a cartoon some time ago of a preacher addressing his congregation, and he's saying, I asked my wife to look over my notes and mark out everything dull. So in conclusion, (laughs) every Sunday in America, 55 million people hear over 1 billion words of sermons preached. Now, when it's all been said and done, a lot's been said and very little done. There are often negative views toward preaching. I mean, how have you said this to your, uh, to your spouse or to your children or to someone else? Don't preach to me. Don't give me a sermon. And so it's even negative like that. Even we ministers joke. I heard uh, a well-known minister say, it's amazing what they can do with statistics today. One study concluded that if you took all the people who are asleep in church on any given Sunday, and if you were to lay them end to end, they would be more comfortable. All right, so all all of us invest time listening to sermons. We evaluate those sermons. We have certain expectations of what a sermon should be. What do you look to happen during a sermon? Some people look for teaching. They want to learn something, and they feel if I didn't learn something I didn't know before, then then the sermon uh, faltered. Or do you look for encouragement? You kind of come in, and you want to leave feeling better. Some people want to be confronted about sin and feel convicted. And unless they feel really beat down, they don't feel that they've been preached to. I've had people tell me that. Uh, others that come up to me sometimes will say, when are you going to preach about, I want you to preach about sin. What they mean is I want you to preach about something I don't do. Tell them over there that are doing that what it's about. Uh, Jesus was a preacher. Mark 1, 14 says after John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming, preaching the good news of God. He had a preaching ministry. The apostle Paul had a preaching ministry. So why have preaching today? I mean, with modern modes of communication, with, with powerful images in film and big screens and, and uh, all the things that we do today digitally, isn't preaching outdated? Was this just something that was suitable for biblical times before mass media uh, or when, before people could read? No. Preaching, for some reason known only to God, is a tool 
uh, is a method that God chooses to use and has chosen to use. I'm not making that up. I'm, I'm saying that from the passage we just read from 2 Timothy 4. It's an instrument also to produce faith. Faith comes from hearing, Romans 1, uh, 10, 17 says. Satan will continue to attack the mode until Christ comes again. And often it will be ridiculed. Now, I, uh, maybe because of my background I, I, and, and the family I grew up in, just my own thoughts, I, I've never relished the preacher image. I never wanted to dress like a preacher. I don't want to sound like a preacher. And part of it was when I was, had various jobs when I was growing up and in college, people quickly, if you were a Christian, called you preacher. <laughs> Every, all you had to do was mention that you went to church and you were labeled preacher. Everybody had a nickname. Most I can't repeat from up here. But I want to ask you, how has God used preaching, or listening to sermons, should I say, how has he used preaching in your life? If you could just think back. I, I can think of several, but not a whole lot. I could probably count them on, on, on both hands, the number of times. But I, I remember uh, several years ago when uh, our family was away from here one Sunday and we went to Perimeter Church in Atlanta. And Randy Pope, the pastor of Perimeter Church, is a childhood friend of mine, and I always enjoy and benefit from hearing Randy preach. We sit down in the service. It's a big mega church, And then they announce that Randy's not there that day, that this guest preacher will be preaching. Oh, you know, my heart kind of sank. I went, oh, yeah. I, I'd never heard of him. His name's Steve Estes. They mentioned a book, one of the books he'd helped to write. Well, he stood up to preach, and within about 30 seconds, I knew exactly why God had us in that place that time, and I experienced what Martin Luther would say, that the voice of the preacher is the voice of God. Now, you have to understand, don't, that could sound arrogant. And, no, what he was saying is preaching, in preaching, God speaks. It's God speaking, not to exalt the, the preacher. That's irrelevant, but that's what... And I can think of numerous times. It's almost like you're in a room, and you know what tunnel vision is? If, if you've ever been in a car going way too fast, when they talk about tunnel vision, it's when you only see what's straight in front of you and everything else is blurry. I hope you never go in a car that fast. I hope I never go in another car or be a passenger that fast. But it's almost like when I was sitting there with a few hundred people at another time. I'm thinking of, of hearing a man named Al Martin preach, and it's as though it's just him. He looked into my soul, and he's saying things as though that was God himself speaking to me. Now, I'm, I'm not saying it's an out-of-body experience. I just meant that there are times that you know God is speaking to you through that, through the preaching of his word. Now, what is biblical preaching? Here I put down the Greek words kerygma, uh, and any book, I've got shelves of books on preaching. That means to proclaim, like a herald. The, the picture is that a, uh, as a king or some person in authority would send a herald before them to the people to take the message that came from the king. And so the message doesn't originate with the herald. The herald is just the deliverer. They are the mouthpiece of the, the person that gave the message. That's what preaching is. There's no authority in the preacher himself. It's in the one who gives the message. Haddon Robinson is still living today. You, you hear him on the radio every once in a while. 
and he's been president of Gordon Conwell Seminary, and he literally wrote the books that are probably most used in seminary today on biblical preaching. And in his book, he talks about what expository preaching is. Y'all hear that term? How many of you ever, you know what, expository preaching? That's, here's what that means. Expository preaching is the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through a historical, grammatical, and literary study of a passage in its context, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and the experience of the preacher, then through him to his hearers. Now, that's a mouthful, isn't it? And I'm not going to take the time to go phrase by phrase through that. But it, it's primarily, it's a biblical message. So there's, you got under, the, the preacher and then in the sermon is to communicate, not exhaustively, but what's the wording here? What's the context that this was given in? What was happening in history when this, when this took place in the Bible? How does that apply to us today? And hopefully, as, as one professor said, the preacher, like me, is not trafficking in unlived truth. But that first it's been applied to my heart and my life, and then uh, to pre that's where preaching for me, so people say, is, is preaching difficult? The preaching part for me is easy. It's the preparation. It's the life lessons. It's the study. It's the, you know, it's the, uh, the work involved to arrive at that. And I think some, you hear guys like Jim Baird and others that to me it just seems to come so easy, and people think that kind of sermons just kind of burst from their head like the, who was that Greek goddess that had the snakes? And, you know, Medusa, Medusa, you know, they kind of jump from the head of Medusa on the way to the church while they're in the car. The message is to be the Bible. So the word expository means to bring the message out, to exposit, to expose. Now, there's a lot of real strange, uh, uh, in, in evangelical Bible-believing churches today, there's still a lot of strange use of the Bible that doesn't fit. And uh, allegorizing things that aren't really there. And, and saying, well, this represents this and this represents this. I'm not talking about prophecy. I just mean in our own lives. And, and that... Sometimes say, look, I don't want to know necessarily what it means to you. I want to know what it means. <laughs> and sometimes those aren't the, the same. All right, God speaks. That, that is why you want to be there during the sermon. Now, I, I listen to lots of sermons on an MP3 player and uh, on uh, an, iP uh, an iPod. Uh, I, I benefit personally from listening to sermons. I also listen to sermons to get ideas for my own preaching. You know? So uh, I do that. Uh, but it's not the same as the preaching event when you are there in person. And I, I think we are living in a day that people think I can substitute uh, the television or, I mean, if they're able to go. I realize there's some extenuating circumstances when a person cannot. But it's, it's not the same just to listen to something as, as being there. That's why, and I know this is an older group and this doesn't apply, but if I had a younger group, I'd say that's why parents need to have their children there. You don't know when God's going to work. You know, if you look back, if you were converted in your teenage years or as a young adult or as a child like myself as a, as a young teenager, I didn't predict when that was going to happen. I had no clue the night I first, that was going to happen the night I understood the gospel at a campus crusade for Christ meeting. I, but it was, uh, 
the scales fell off. And so for parents that aren't, you know, they, let, they make their kids go to school, but somehow or another they leave the choice about church up to them. You know, after all, wouldn't want to turn them against it. He doesn't really want to go. You want to turn him against school? <laughs> well, give him the saint you want to, you know, some, sorry. Until I've been a youth director and I'm still ticked off. But. <laughs> All right, God speaks through a man. Uh, some call it truth through personality. The human element is vital. It isn't just content. It's the life of the messenger as well. I mentioned this past Sunday in a sermon that, that so much of teaching is relational. If you've ever maybe gone to some, uh, as a guest with a friend to their church and they rave about the person's preaching and their sermons and you sit there and you're wondering, this is bad, you know, when you hear the preacher. But what the difference is, that person knows them and there's credibility and each time that preacher says a, hits a topic, this person has all these life experiences that relate to that. And so there's, there's much to be said for the life of the messenger. A trust and credibility. Uh, so there's advantages and disadvantages of a guest preacher. The guest preacher can preach the perfect message they've done 30, 50, or 100 times before. I agree with Jay Adams, who says that sermons are best preached the fourth or fifth time around. You know, um, I, was, I met with a couple of pastors here, one from uh, across the street Mulberry Methodist and, and one from uh, Christ Church. We had lunch together. Both, neither one of them still live here now. But uh, we, were, we were talking, and one of them was emphatic that, that he had had a professor train him in seminary that if you can't say it in seven minutes, you can't say it. So his sermons were never longer than seven minutes. And, I mean, he was like this at the table. I didn't say it because it was my first time to be around him. I wanted to be friendly, but I wanted to ask, how long was that guy's lesson that day? <laughs> I would have walked out after seven minutes and said, Professor, if you can't say it in seven minutes, you can't say it. Um, A guest preacher can be more candid with the illustrations. I've got some great material I can never use in making. (laughs) I've got illustrative material running out my ears. I'm going to be a wonderful preacher at my next church, you know, where nobody will know who I'm talking about. I used a story one Sunday morning. I disguised it. I changed the names. I changed everything. And somebody came up to me and said, I know who you're talking about. (laughs) You can't win. (laughs) There's the question also of what is God's spirit. And uh, did this thing just get louder? Something just happened. I don't know. Uh, What is God's spirit and what is personality or oratorical skill? Uh, This book is called Preaching and Preachers. It was a series of lessons given by Martin Lloyd-Jones years ago. And he's teaching about preaching. And this is a classic book. And he talks about George Whitfield. George Whitfield was the the colonial, the the great evangelist. He and John Wesley and Charles Wesley were all, all close friends. And Whitfield made numerous trips from England to colonial America and preached up and down the eastern seaboard. Uh, Benjamin Franklin and others were greatly impacted by his preaching. He played a key part in the founding of this colony of Georgia. But Whitfield, uh, they say as far as preaching, just uh, his natural talents and skills and ability as far as drama, uh, he was like a superstar. Thousands of people would come and hear him. Uh, When uh, he preached in Philadelphia, They would preach outside to accommodate the crowds, and also the Church of England wouldn't let them preach inside. They kicked them out. They 
Franklin walked around one day and estimated how many people were hearing Whitfield. He walked to the, the farthest place and he calculated how many people were probably there and he came close to 14,000. Now at that time there were only 10,000 people that lived in the city of Philadelphia. But anyway, uh, Lloyd-Jones gives this illustration about Whitfield's powers of imagination and oratory and something that happened. And Lloyd-Jones is saying how much of preaching the effectiveness uh, where do you cross the line from it being the Spirit of God to the dramatic talents of the preacher? <laughs> Listen to this. Uh, George Whitfield was obviously gifted with a great and exceptional imagination. Incidentally, it seems quite clear from the reading of the history of preaching and the biographies of preachers that the greatest preachers have generally been greatly gifted with imagination. Whitfield clearly used his imagination freely, and I think at times it's equally clear that it ran away with him. Take the famous occasion when Whitfield was preaching one day in the house of the Countess of Huntington in London to a very distinguished auditory, amongst whom was the famous Lord Chesterfield. So there were these wealthy people that would have preachers come into their house and preach for them and all their friends. Chesterfield was an unbeliever, but he was interested in outstanding persons and particularly interested in good speaking. He had been persuaded to go to listen to Whitfield. The preacher on this occasion was using his famous illustration of a blind man walking along the edge of a cliff with his stick and his dog. You got it? So here's this blind man with a stick and his dog, and he's walking on the edge of a cliff. At first, the blind man is pretty far away from the edge, but he's getting nearer and nearer to it. And below, there's a terrible drop, which would mean certain death. Whitfield was illustrating this in such a manner that the sinner goes on and on. He's getting nearer and nearer the terrible abyss of the last judgment and of eternal perdition. In spite of all the warnings, the sinner goes on exactly as this poor blind man, who having lost his stick now and the dog runs away, is walking on and getting nearer and nearer to the abyss. Whitfield had been elaborating and painting this picture in most vivid colors for some time in a most dramatic and imaginative manner, and was such an effect that this unbeliever, this Lord Chesterfield, jumped up out of his chair and he shouts, By heavens, the beggar's gone! Somebody save him! <laughs> and, and Lloyd-Jones says, What do we say about that? Had Whitfield crossed the line? What was it that influenced Chesterfield? And he said, There's a problem that arises at that point. Well, he gives other illustrations about imagination like that. Well, let me go back to the notes here. Purpose of preaching, there are at least four. What I want to do is give you just a few moments of the purpose of preaching. Then we're going to come to this insert, this little handout, and I'm going to tell you how to listen to a sermon in the few moments I have. Well, let's, uh, the purpose of preaching that there's, is to teach, is to reprove, is to correct, is to train in righteousness. Well, how then do we listen to, to a sermon? What are the marks of a mature hearer? Because uh, Hebrews tells us in this verse I put on the, the sheet of paper, for we also have had the gospel preached to us,